Welcome to the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you understand the Bible better so you can have a better relationship with God and what your pastor never told you.com, helping you navigate the end times so you can stand firm until the return of Christ. Get ready. This is not your average Bible study. This is not for the faint of heart. If it's controversial and in the Bible, we'll talk about it. We are unashamedly, unabashedly, and unpredictably bringing out the truth in God's Word. And now, introducing your dynamic hostess with the mostest. She's an international speaker, author, and self-admitted nerd for the Word, Dana Crosby. So what is the marriage supper of the Lamb? And what does the Bible have to say about it? And what does the marriage supper of the Lamb have to do with the Battle of Armageddon? We're going to talk about that coming up next. Make sure to visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Hello, friends. This is Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel and whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Welcome to Bible study today. We're in the middle of our amazing series, What Your Pastor Never Told You About the Book of Revelation. We are coming to the final chapters of the book of Revelation, and there's so much here that I can't wait to get into all of it with you. But before we do that, I want to make sure you guys are up to speed on some of the latest developments here with the Wisdom Calls channel. First of all, donations are accepted at our website, whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. This helps us to defray the costs of producing these materials as well as getting these out on the internet for everyone to be able to benefit from. Another way that you can support the channel, of course, is through prayer. And we definitely need prayer. Please be praying for us. We've been wintering in Florida in our motorhome. And with a family of five and two dogs, the, it's getting to be tight quarters, <laughs> to put it mildly, especially with trying to operate a production studio in the midst of all of this. So if you could be praying for us that the Lord would open doors for us to sell our motorhome lot that we're on, and that way we would be able to purchase a home, Lord willing, that would have a spare bedroom that we could have dedicated to making these videos. That way we can come out with more videos for you every week. By the way, if you're new here, do not forget to subscribe down below. And if you're listening, if you're listening to this as a podcast via iTunes, there's a way you can subscribe there as well so that you will get every new download. And if you are listening to this via podcast, just know that if at any time you'd like to watch the video version, those are available at the Wisdom Calls channel on YouTube. So I appreciate all prayers about that. Another way that you can support this channel is Anytime that you make purchases, if you shop via Amazon, as long as you use our affiliate link, which I will post down below, as long as you use that link, whatever you purchase through Amazon, it will actually help benefit this channel. So I would appreciate it if you are a regular Amazon shopper like I am, please use the link and share it with your friends and that way it will help support this channel as well. I have another exciting announcement for you guys. I don't know if all of you are aware, but there is an amazing conference that's going to be coming up in March of this year, 2018. It's going to be March 9th and March 10th in Nashville, Tennessee. And it is about understanding the end end time. So the event is called Understanding the Times. 
Israel, Islam, and the gospel at the end of the age. And you will not want to miss this event. So tickets are on sale right now via Eventbrite. And I will leave a link in the description down below for you so that you can check that out. But there are going to be some amazing speakers at this event. I'm hoping to attend this as well. And let me just share with you guys the list of speakers here. We have, well, of course, Joel Richardson. You won't want to miss that. Some of the featured speakers are Tom and Joanne Doyle. Um, of course, Joel Richardson, Jake McCandless, Mark Dance. Now, Eaton Barr is going to be there, and I'm super excited about this because I have been following Eaton Barr through his One for Israel ministry. And if you have not checked out their YouTube page or their website, they're also on Facebook as well, you have to go there. They have um, professional quality production testimonials of Jews from all over the world, but many of them that are living right now in Israel. And it's their story of how they came to faith and Yeshua as Messiah. And I will tell you, if you ever are in the mood to binge watch something, these are materials you will want to binge watch. Each story is a fantastic series of miracles that takes place in order for this each person to come to Christ. And so these are stories you're going to want to share with other people. I'm super excited that Eaton is going to be a part of this event, and I hope that you will join us for that. Also, um, we have Daniel Seacom that is going to be coming to this event as well. So if you are free the dates of March 9th and 10th and you live near the Nashville area, or if you, like me, are able to travel from, we're going to be hopefully coming from Florida, please look online and go ahead and book your tickets for that event. You won't want to miss it. One final announcement I have for you is that I have come in contact through the internet with a brother in Christ, Christopher Monti, who has an amazing ministry called wingsoftheeagle.com. And you will want to go and check that out. But he has incredible resources right now, not only going towards helping people to understand the end times, but also resources going towards evangelism in the Middle East. And he is working to help the underground church there on many levels. And so I'm super excited to be partnering with him. He has a website on teachable.com and he has several end times courses available for you that are there. One is free and then one there is a cost to it. But I'm going to be partnering with him and bringing my end times material materials to a course available on his website. So look for details in the future about that course that will be coming available to you. But in the meantime, check out wingsoftheeagle.com. So without any further ado, let's jump right into the Bible study for today. Today, we're going to be talking about what your pastor never told you about the marriage supper of the lamb. So the marriage supper of the lamb is something that if you've been in Christian circles for a long time, you've probably heard about it. And maybe you've heard speculations about it. But as far as I can tell, there's only one passage of the Bible that specifically talks about this as the marriage supper of the lamb. And that's right here in Revelation 19. We're going to find out what the Bible actually has to say about it. And it might surprise you. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into Revelation 19. I'm going to be reading starting from verse 1, and I'm reading the NASB version. After these things, I heard something like the loud, like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. He has judged the great harlot. Now we talked about that in our previous video. If you've missed the previous video where we talked about Mystery Babylon or the great harlot, um, just go ahead and click to the link. I'm going to put a card for it for you. Just go ahead and click the link on that. It's over here. 
And so we see here that God has judged the great harlot mystery Babylon. And it says here, he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. So this harlot has corrupted the whole earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Now, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, we've talked about this before, but this is a heavenly scene. And there are several references in the Bible to the four living creatures. We've talked about that in a previous video, so we won't go into detail on that here, but you can find out more with a quick Google search. It says in verse 5, And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and, the, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory, give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So we saw that Jesus gave analogies about the bride and the bridegroom and that the bride is his church. The bride are those who are followers of him and that he himself is the bridegroom. And so it's no surprise here that we see marriage a marriage analogy here. In fact, Jesus said that he was going to go away and that he was going to prepare a place for us. It says, he said, in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. And it was customary in those days when a marriage contract was signed, you know, what we think of as an engagement was actually the marriage was intact. It wasn't like you had to wait till later for that marriage to actually be legitimate, that marriage was considered a done deal at the engagement at that when that contract was signed, when that covenant was made. But what we see is that in those in that culture, the groom would then go back and prepare a place for his bride at his father's house. And then the time of the wedding, what we what um what was the actual ceremony or the consummation of the marriage is when the groom would come back to get his bride and then the wedding, the marriage would actually be consummated at that time, literally. And there would be this huge celebration that would happen. Now in our culture, it's a little bit different because we have the the contract and everything is all signed at the same time. We have our, you know, wedding license and everything that is signed at the day at that moment of the wedding. But in those Middle Eastern countries, that was not the case. And that's what we see Jesus drawing this analogy from. And so we are legitimately his bride. We are legitimately his already now, but we are also, there's an element of an already, but not yet. And this concept is common through scripture where we are already his, but we do not yet have the fulfillment of what will be when the wedding happens. And so it's no surprise here that we're talking about this wedding supper, that when the Lord returns, he's going to get his bride. But what is going to be surprising in this passage is that along with this wedding supper, we see a bloody battle that is also taking place. So we've got this celebration time along with this time of warfare. And that's pretty unexpected. We don't normally think of that when we think of a time of feasting or celebration, but that's what the scripture is showing us here. So let's continue reading so we can get a better picture of what the Lord is showing us here. 
In verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's an interesting scripture right there, too. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's the uttering of God's words. Okay, and in fact, that makes sense, right? Because Jesus is the word of God. So in verse 11, let's continue on. I saw heaven opened and beheld, and beheld, excuse me, and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. So this is where we get the warfare that's coming in. So even though it's the marriage of the lamb for the church, for the world, it is a bloody war. And you're going to see what's going to happen now as the wrath of God becomes poured out on planet earth. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. So this is a picture of Jesus coming back on a horse as a conquering warrior, as a conquering bridegroom. And on his head are many diadems. What is a diadem? It's basically a type of a crown or a garland usually that has jewels on it and it signifies authority, sovereignty rulership. So it says here, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. We just spoke about how Jesus is the word of God. So we know that this is Jesus here, but it's very interesting that he is in a robe clothed. Um, that is, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And we're going to read some Old Testament scriptures that further give us more information into this in just a little bit. It says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So it could be that it's just speaking of angelic hosts here. However, you'll notice that the describing factors of this are the same as what was described of the bride. It, uh, the the armies of heaven are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we just read that a few verses ago, speaking of the bride. And so it is very likely here that it is actually the armies of heaven are us, the bride, following after Christ. It says they were following him on white horses and white throughout scripture being a symbol of purity. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. We read about that as well in, um, I believe it was Revelation 12 and several other places throughout scripture that he is going to rule them with a rod of iron. And maybe we can pull up some of those scriptures together so that we can understand who this is referring to, that it is referring to Christ. And it says, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord 
of Lords. Okay, so this treading of the wine presses is a really um, important symbol to understand, and it is mentioned throughout Scripture with regard to this time frame. And so we see that there's going to be a harvest of souls of the righteous, but there's also going to be a harvest of the unrighteous and their... Um, they're facing of the wrath of God. And whenever the Lord is talking about the wrath of God, he's using this analogy, talking about the wine presses and that they are as though grapes in the wine press of God. And, um, that's interesting too, because you've got wine being a symbol of celebration and also of wedding, but that these are the being pressed out. This battle is happening at the same time. So let's turn to the scriptures here. First of all, I want to bring up a really interesting passage that I don't know if many people realize it likely pertains to this marriage supper of the Lamb. If you try to do a Google search and find out, you know, what is the marriage supper of the Lamb all about, the only main scripture that comes up that mentions specifically the marriage supper of the Lamb is this Revelation 19. At least that's what I was able to come up with. Some people mention in the Olivet Discourse where Jesus talks about the, um, maidens that are waiting for the bridegroom to come and some of them have lamps that continue to burn and others have lamps that are going out. But I do want to draw attention to your to this passage in Psalm 23. And many of you have heard this passage before, but maybe didn't realize what it could be pertaining to. So of course, we've got the scripture, it says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or I shall not be in need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, here's the part I want you to really focus on. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We just talked about how he has the rod of iron. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And of course, the staff being a shepherd's image and where it seems like a shepherd's psalm here. But look at this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, don't you think that's an unusual statement to prepare a table, a, a dining table in the presence of our enemies? That seems so um, like a strange idea. But I think this ties back in with what we've been reading in Revelation, that the marriage supper of the Lamb is the supper that is prepared for us, but it's in the presence of the Lord's enemies who are going to be dashed to pieces. Okay, so then let's go on. There's another scripture here I want to show you guys. Okay, this is really important, and I keep coming back to this scripture, but it's a really important for, one for us to realize. This is in Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah? And so these areas that are spoken of are just south of Israel. It says, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. So this person is coming in greatness of strength and greatness of glory, rainbow-like um, apparel, just glowing colors. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the wine press? Now, in ancient times, they would make this wine press of grapes and the people would would stomp on them with their feet and the grape juice would splash up and dye their garments, you know, a purple blood red type color. And so he's saying your garments are like the ones who treads the wine press. And what did we read in Revelation? 
that his garments, his robes were dipped in blood, right? So we see these um, hints and ties together from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And you'll see this throughout scripture that the Lord will use symbols. And if you study those symbols throughout the scriptures, you get a really um, more detailed and more full and complete look at what the Lord is trying to communicate about this. In verse three, it says, I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and I and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. Raiment is a type of clothing. It's your, your garments. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. Okay, so we see this juxtaposition of two ideas again. The day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come, right? Vengeance upon those who are not for the Lord and redemption for those who are. He says, I looked and there was no one to help and I was astonished there was no one to uphold. So my own right arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. So the last days are going to be gory for those who are not in the Lord. And these passages, if you're not in Christ Jesus, should be alarming to you and should be frightening to you. But the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if these passages strike fear in your heart, let that be a good thing and let that fear lead you to repentance. Because the Lord says, don't fear man and don't fear the people that can do anything to your body, but fear the one who can who could send body and soul into hell. So we need to fear the Lord and his holiness. We are far from God in ourselves. A lot of times we think we're good because we compare ourselves to our neighbor or to um, a po politician or to Hitler or something like that. And we think, wow, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as those people. But when you understand the holiness and the glory of God, you realize how dirty we are. And this is why people, when they come into the Lord's presence, these prophets would often say, woe to me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, and that we just realize how dirty we really are. And so we need salvation. Thankfully, God did not give us what we deserved. He gave us Christ Jesus, his only begotten son. And so that we would not perish, but that we could have eternal life. All who trust in Jesus and who make Jesus our Lord, we can have eternal life. So I encourage you today, if you have not yet, just repent of your sins. Surrender your life to Christ Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life because in him alone is true life. Apart from him, you're like the walking dead, but in him, you have life eternal. So get prepared. And just like John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming and we see signs that he is coming sooner and sooner. We keep seeing things happening in our earth that are fulfillments of these prophecies. The Lord is coming. So it's important that we get prepared, but there are things that have to happen first. And that's why we're studying the scriptures so that we will not be deceived. Okay, now I want us to turn in. I know today's Bible study is going to be a bit longer than usual, but it's really important that we go through these. And if you need to watch them in bits and pieces, that's completely fine. But let's turn with me to Joel chapter three. This is one of the classic end times. The, the whole book of Joel is really end times prophecy. But let's look here at what it says in chapter three. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, 
I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Now, Tyre is one that the Lord has prophesied through another one of the Old Testament prophets that he almost speaks to it as though it is the personification of the Antichrist. Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head. So the Lord is saying, are you trying to pay me back for something? If you're trying to pay me back, I'm going to swiftly and speedily turn it around on your own head. That's what he's saying to them. He says, since you have taken my silver and my gold and brought my precious treasures to your temples and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory, behold, I'm going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a, dis a distant nation for the Lord has spoken. And we read throughout the prophets that the Lord is saying, yes, I want a judgment to come on my people because they were far from me, but you nations took it too far. And because you did that, I'm going to pour out judgment on your own head. In verse nine, it says, proclaim this upon among the nations, prepare for war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into spears. Now plowshares is a agricultural tool. He's saying, take your tools that you use during times of peace and turn them into times for war. Come up to me. It's time for battle, basically. He says, and turn your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a mighty man. Now this verse has been used out of context by Christians where let the weak say, I am strong. And God is saying, God is not speaking to believers here. He is speaking to the enemies of his across the world. And he's saying, let your weak say, I'm strong. Bring them on up here. Come on. It's time for battle. That's what the Lord is saying here. Hasten and come all you surrounding nations and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Notice here he's saying all the surrounding nations. And when I've been going through the books of the Old Testament, reading about this battle over and over again, he names off regions that are surrounding Israel, whether it's, you know, Libya, Turkey, um, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, all of these areas. He's now in the Bible, we're getting them in the terminology of what the people knew those places as during that time period. And so um, we won't have them, the modern names listed. But when you go look those areas up on a map, you'll see which regions they are. The area surrounding Israel. It's not necessarily every nation in the world. It's the nation's right around Israel. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. So the sickle is a big knife that is, it's a long, you know, sharp tool that is used for harvest. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come tread for the wine press is full. So here again, we see this analogy of the wine press. The vats, which are the containers for the grapes and the, and the wine, overflow for their wickedness is great. 
multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And actually a better translation here would be valley of judgment. A decision is a judgment that you're making. And so here we see the Lord is is making a decision or a judgment against these nations. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Now we've talked about this before and if you have not yet seen that video series on the celestial darkening that's going to happen um, preceding the day of the Lord, I'm going to put a link for you in the cards and you will see all the scriptures that the Bible has referring to this. It's a really important sign in the heavens. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble. So we see here that Jesus is going to roar from Zion, from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth are going to tremble. In other words, an earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more. Listen to this. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. We read about this in Revelation as well as other places. A spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste and Edom a desolate, desolate wilderness. Now is this a reference to Mystery Babylon. We've talked in the previous videos, and if you haven't seen the video series on Mystery Babylon, you're going to definitely want to watch that or listen to the podcast. But we have postulated that it is possible that it could be this new city that is to be built in Saudi Arabia, just south of Israel in Edom. And we know about Babylon, Mystery Babylon, this future Babylon will become a complete desert waste, a desolate waste that people will no longer inhabit. Whereas Jerusalem is going to be the reigning place for the, for the millennial reign of Christ. And so we see that Jerusalem and Babylon have totally different futures here. But notice here, Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence she has done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for all generations. This is why we know that Jerusalem and Babylon are not the same. And you'll find several Old Testament prophecies that talk about Babylon and Jerusalem. And while God will, um, he does cause Jerusalem to go through a fiery furnace, as it were. Though Jerusalem does go through a season of refining and peril. They are ultimately redeemed. And that is the difference between Jerusalem and Babylon. Babylon has no ultimate redemption. Jerusalem does. He says, I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So in this passage, again, we see the juxtaposition of this battle with the nations and then a blessing for Israel. I want us to look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a really important passage concerning this battle with the nations. It's a prophetic passage. Look here. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, they're wanting to live in rebellion apart from God. They want to cast off anything that has to do with God. Oh, he's just trying to make our lives hard. He's just trying to put rules on us. They want to cast that away. And they say, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So where is the king installed? On Zion, which is Jerusalem. I will surely tell you of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. We talked about that earlier, the rod of iron, and you will shatter them like earthenware. So just like a rod of iron would break pottery to pieces, so the Lord, so Jesus will do that to the nations that want to live in rebellion against him. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, in other words, worship the Son, that he may not become angry and that you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So those who take refuge in Jesus will not have the wrath of God coming upon them. They won't be blessed. But those who refuse to bow to Jesus, those who will take the mark of the beast, they are going to face the wrath of God. Let's take a flashback back to Revelation 14 in verse 14. Then I looked and beheld a white and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like the son of like a son of man. So why is it saying this description to us? He was human in form, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And so I believe this is a reference to Jesus. He's on a cloud, which the Lord tells us he will return on the clouds. And he is human, as of course we know that Jesus is both human and God. And he has a golden crown on his head. I don't know of any other angel that has a golden crown on his head. So this appears to be Jesus. And it says, and another angel which we have to remind ourselves, a better translation is messenger. The reason they say angel in our language is because in the Greek, it's something like angelos. And so angel seems like the most natural translation. But in Greek, angelos means messenger. So it probably should be just translated messenger here. Another messenger, angel, came out of the temple crying in a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. And um, so who is that referring to? To Jesus. In fact, in my translation, it's they capitalize him to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he, in, in my translation, it's a capital H here, who sat on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple or another messenger came out of the temple, which is in heaven. So it stipulates where this temple is. This temple is in heaven. So Revelation tells us if they're talking about an earthly temple or a heavenly temple here, it's the temple in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle and another angel who has power over fire came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who 
had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel, or the messenger, swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for the distance of two hundred miles. So there's a massive slaughter that's taking place here. And we read in Revelation 19 that Jesus has his robes dipped in blood. This massive slaughter, he has his robes dipped in blood for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's come back to Revelation 20 and let's look at verse 17. Then I saw an angel or messenger standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven. So who is the messenger speaking to? To the birds that are flying in the sky to flying, it says flying in mid heaven. That's the sky. Come and assemble for the great supper of God. So who is he saying to come to the supper of God? He's actually talking to the birds. So that you may eat of the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now we're going to find out what happens next in the next video. So thank you so much for joining us for Bible study today. This has been Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Calls podcast. For more exclusive content, visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Sign up for emails and get updates. Also, there you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Thanks for listening and join us next time.